Yeah. So yeah. Jordan, Alfred um, Collins, what, what, I don't know if you heard anything NIL wise with Alfred. He's just a guy that I don't, when you and I talk and I talk to other people, I, he's just not a name I hear as far as, you know, NIL being as much of a factor with him as it is with other people. Yeah. I don't, um, you know, I'm sure his deal for next year is more than it's ever been from the university of Texas, but um, I mean, at the same time, I think there was just probably an honest conversation where it's like, you enter the draft, you know, you might not get picked. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, you know, are you going to prioritize maybe going in the sixth or seventh with the chance of going undrafted with undrafted money? Are you going to, are you going to risk that? Are you going to come back and kind of make, I assume they're paying them around what an undrafted free agent will make, uh, at least next year. You know, do you want to make the same money and try to boost it and also, you know, run it back and be a bigger contributor and bigger part of the team than you've ever been before? Um, and I don't know. I feel like as much as the as much as the the loss hurt Texas fans, like, man, think for the players how close they were at the very end, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them got a sour taste in their mouth, I'd assume. Yeah. And you know, I think that also is factoring into it. I know that's obviously obvious, but um, I mean, all, always good to get guys like Alfred Collins back and, you know, prevents you from having to go on the portal. I don't know if that was the plan if they were to lose Alfred, but, um, you know, it's good that you have bodies coming back because, you know, with the way recruiting is right now and the way uh, the portal is, man, if you want to get a guy around Alfred Collins is like, production level or just the type of player he is out of the portal, Texas is going to have to pay over twice what they're paying Alfred. Like yeah. that's just kind of how the, mm-hmm. the portal works. Like there aren't like th- we all saw whenever um, Bear Alexander entered the portal late, we saw the market for him because it, it was seven figures, right? Mm-hmm. And it's because good, good D lineman as a whole, not just edge rushers, but interior guys as well. Like they don't exist in the portal. <laughs> Like, yeah. the really phenomenal ones. Like, right. I'm not trying to talk down on Trey Moore or anything, but, like, you know, there's a reason he went to UTSA out of high school and originally walked on there. There's a reason for that. And everyone slips through the cracks and stuff, but, you know, I guess this is all over the place. To wrap it up, you know, couldn't have better news, I guess, this morning or right. better defensive line news this morning. But Yeah, so yeah. I'll back up what you're saying, and then this is just kind of what we've seen emerge in the portal since the portal's been a thing. Like, when you talk about edge guys, like, we'll see, we'll, you know, we'll see what ultimately happens with Trey Moore in, when, when he gets to Texas and kind of how his career unfolds. But I think if you're going into the portal for an edge guy, I think people, fan base, people, you know, fans they of their respective schools, they see a guy like Jared Verse and think that those guys are just hanging out in the portal. Dude, Jared Verse was the exception, not the rule. Like, you had an exceptionally, like, a late bloomer who ended up at FCS Albany, who all of a sudden he's in the portal and got a chance to develop, and all of a sudden it's like, wow, this guy may be an NFL-caliber edge rusher, and I think now we're seeing that given the career he put together at Florida State. But to your point, Jordan, like, you don't just go into the portal every year and be like, all right, of all of these four or five Jared verses, which one am I going to handpick? Like, that's not the way it works in defensive tackles. Like, you and I talked about it when the portal opened. Like, was there even another option Texas was going to be willing to entertain other than Jamari Caldwell? And, like, we we both talked about, like, Jamari Caldwell, nice player, but 
I think if you're Bo Davis, you'd rather have Alfred Collins back than be counting on Jamar Caldwell to to take a step up, a guy you've never coached and that has to learn all the idiosyncrasies of Pete Kwiatkowski's defense. He's got to adjust to you. Like, I think if you're Bo Davis and you're PK, you, you're much happier. And that's not a knock on Jamar Caldwell, but you'd much rather have Alfred Collins back than have to go into a portal and get a guy that you're not 100% sure what he's going to bring to the table. Yeah, no, for sure. I uh, completely agree with you. Alfred Collins has an NFL upside. Like, I just, man, I could be dead wrong. And I've been wrong before. I don't, I don't, I don't, You're not wrong. Like, that's why he was a five star. Because yeah. the people who measure and test like he was doing in high school <laughs> tend to go in the first round of the NFL draft. Yeah. They do. Yeah. They I do. And I've, he just yeah. hasn't put it together yet. Yeah. It, it would have been a crapshoot if he would have gone into the draft because honestly, man, I could have seen a scenario where he could have gone to the combine and torn it up and somebody because once you get to day three of the draft day three of the draft are like your three-star prospects like you're looking at a guy you're looking for two there's two types of guys and you and i talked about this with the the matt rule theory right the way matt rule looks at prospects those three-star guys yeah you're either looking for guys that have just are real toolsy guys they're uber athletes speed guys whatever test off the charts that you say okay and we know all football coaches have egos. There'd be somebody, some defensive line coach in the NFL said, I'm going to take him, make him the next Chris Jones. I'm going to look like a genius when I turn this fourth round pick into an all pro. Uh, or you're looking for just guys that are might not have very good measurables or times. It's like, damn, that dude was a really productive player at fill in the blank SEC or Big Ten school. Uh, I thought like somebody would have taken a flyer on Alfred Collins day three. Just go, go look at the guy. I mean, look at him getting off the bus. Look what he would have put up testing-wise. But it's great that he's coming back to play for Bo Davis. And like I said at the top, Jordan, I mean, I remember when that recruiting class got put together, I just looked at him and Vernon Broughton, and I said, man, if you go against an SEC school in a playoff, these are the types of guys that are your your starting defensive, two of your starting defensive linemen that can allow you to to compete with and beat an SEC program. And when we'll get to, yeah. we'll get to find that out in 2024, what that what that looks like. Yeah. Speaking of Bo Davis, man, you see what happened to LSU this morning? I have not. So here's the deal. I got in from uh, New Orleans. I left New Orleans about, let's say, I'll overestimate, say 2.30 yesterday afternoon. And between traffic, between Baton Rouge and Lafayette, which was god-awful, and the thunderstorms I drove through from Beaumont pretty much until I got on the other side, on the uh, west side of Houston, uh, I didn't get home until about 2, about, about two o'clock this morning. So... I pretty much rolled out of the rack, showered, <laughs> was trying to trying to connect with uh, Eric Henry to get some Alfred Collins content up. But yeah, so I have not seen what happened with LSU. Yeah, um, I just saw they uh, fired Matt House on defense, and I'm pretty positive they're clearing the rest of the staff as well and just yeah. cleaning house the the whole defensive side of the ball. Um, brought that up because I think Bo Davis is going to be on a short list of calls. Um, and that's something to watch out for for Texas mm-hmm. fans. You know, um, I'm not saying he's getting the job. I don't. I have no intel on LSU's coaching search or how they look to fill that two hours after it breaks. But he's gonna be a guy they call. I feel very strongly about that. Yeah. You know, you can't have the two highest graded interior defensive linemen in all of college football or pro football focus and not get calls from <laughs> another school that's has just as much tradition and history as the one you currently work at. 
Yeah. Uh, so Bo Davis, just to give everybody some background, uh, he's an LSU alum, uh, started his coaching career as a GA. I want to say maybe that was Jared DiNardo that was the head coach at LSU at that time. Then ends up at North Shore uh, on David Amon's staff at North Shore, right when you know Corey Redding and those guys were were kind of you know, North Shore was on the come up in the late nineties and uh, early two thousands. Bo Davis was on that staff, and then he goes back to LSU in two thousand two under Nick Saban, working in the weight room, and then follows Nick Saban to the Dolphins, uh, then follows Nick Saban from the Dolphins to Alabama, and then Mac Brown hires him, and then we kind of know Bo from there, right? Goes from Texas back to Alabama. Uh, and then, you know, ends up getting in trouble with the NCAA. That whole deal is, 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 is he's long put that past him. Uh, ends up with the Jaguars, spends a year at UTSA, a couple years with the Detroit Lions, uh, and then back at Texas. You know, he was on, I don't know if, you, if you're aware of this, I'm sure you are, but, you know, Bo Davis was actually on Steve Sarkeesian's USC staff, that initial staff Sark put together at USC. He was on that staff for about five minutes. Uh, they had announced him and he was ready to go to work at USC. But when Charlie Strong hired Chris Rump away from Alabama to be the Texas defensive line coach, it opened up a spot at Bama. And Nick Saban was like, hey, you, you want a job? <laughs> so Bo couldn't get to Alabama fast enough at that point. Uh, so it's kind of cool that it came full circle for him and Sark got to hire him on a staff. But, uh, you know, I, I think there's a couple different things he'll look at. You know, one that I'm interested in, I don't know. You know what? It's going to be a crazy, crazy thing that I say this, but this might be a really good question for my wife, who's an educator. But looking at the Texas teachers retirement plan, like between Bo Davis's time working at North Shore, the time he spent at Texas, the time he spent at UTSA working for state institutions. uh, I would think the longer Bo Davis spends at Texas, the better he has a chance to to really cash in in retirement you know, on the backside whenever he's done coaching with whatever whatever that pool of money would be for him in terms of his average years and everything. Does he actually even qualify for whatever teaching thing you're talking about? Like, yeah. the last time he taught anything was probably PE at North Shore. No, you do, because this, uh, this was a big deal with, uh, with Jeff Trailer. also. I mean, if you work at a state school, you're, uh, you're eligible for that, so... Yeah, it's it's something it's something to consider, but you know, I and that that may be that may be something he considers. That may be the furthest thing from his mind. But look, man, I, I can tell you this: uh, Chris Del Conte's got some work to do now. Now that the season's over and everybody's kind of catching their breath, Steve Sarkeesian's going to need a contract extension. I know that makes Texas fans nervous, but you can't go into the SEC if you're Texas and your head football coach is one of the lowest paid coaches in the SEC. If he's not one of your top two, three, four head coach, head, well, most well-paid coaches going into the SEC. Uh, plus, I think Sark is going into year four of a five-year contract, so it's about time to redo that thing anyway. Like, we talk about coaches' contracts, man. They're kind of they're almost like NFL players' contracts. Like, if you tell me it's for X number of years, nobody ever sees the full, year, full amount of years on that contract. Either you're redoing it because you've outperformed expectations or – you're tearing it up because you underperformed and you're out on the street. So Sark's going to need a contract extension and CDC has said it, man. And I, I think you've got the right administration in place right now that understands this is Texas and you've got donors that are, that are hungry that have seen what the staff can do. I really feel like Texas under, under this administration isn't going to lose assistant coaches because of money. Money's not going to be a factor. If Bo Davis were to end up leaving where I'm not saying he is, 
So Jordan and I aren't reporting anything on that. Just don't be shocked when you legitimately see Bo Davis's name pop up as somebody on this LSU staff that Brian Kelly might try to hire. Uh, Texas won't be losing assistant coaches because of money. It'll be there will be another factor at play. Yeah, um, and you know, whenever LSU is the school you went to and probably secretly been rooting for, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to beat that out for Texas, even even with the money involved. And um, I saw CB's comment on uh, the guys uh, Brian Kelly fired. I almost said BK. Yeah, Brad Kellner is at Baton Rouge letting loose, oh. just cutting everybody today. Um, <laughs> But no, Jimmy Lindsay. I, I don't know if that's the full like on-field assistant defensive staff that, that CB commented. But Jimmy Lindsay, I believe, is who was the uh, the coach in charge of the interior defensive line. So, well, uh, I I just went to our LSU site, go twenty four seven Jordan, and Glenn West is reporting that it is uh, Glenn West and Matt Zenitz are reporting that it is going to be a full house cleaning on defense. Everybody's gone. Damn. Yeah. Uh, Damn, but Jeez, I'm gonna apply. I want to coach Harold Perkins. <laughs> How would you? What? Give me, give me your. Uh, you walk into a meeting with LSU's edge guys. Well, what's your? What's the first thing you tell Harold Perkins? You don't first play off, edge. First off, first off, it's probably you have you haven't talked to Harold in a minute, so it'd probably be nice to catch up with him. Uh, you, you tell him, you tell him, get the hell out of my room. You're not playing edge anymore. <laughs> Yeah, get out. I'll just work on contain and doing your job. Harold, you're Mike, but you're not guarding anyone. You're just playing spy and Harold. That's your position is Harold. Just chase wherever the ball is, figure it out. Hey, man. You just got to turn him loose. And on offense, he's getting at least 10 carries a game. Uh, Not many know this, but he went both ways at the high school level, had over, I don't know, probably 3,000, 4,000 rushing yards his last two, two and a half years. He would have been a five-star running back if he wanted – if he was like, I'm a running back, I'm not playing linebacker, we would have been like, okay, so instead of us rating you as the number four player in the country, you're now like the number 13 player. Because mm-hmm. that's how much of a freak athlete he was and just how good of a ball player he was. Um, won't Kelly end up at Michigan anyways if Harbaugh ends up at the char- Chargers? Look, that's a great point. We should be proud of the players and coaches doing well this season. We should. Uh, so they've come a long way. And I kept telling Hank and Trey this while we were watching the end of the Michigan Alabama game and Hank South and Trey Scott. I was like, man, can you believe we're about to see Texas playing a college football playoff game? (laughs) And Trey, who was being nervous, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Dude, you guys had to watch the game with Trey, you and Hank did. Dude, he was losing his. Oh, man. Yeah, dude. There's nothing. I I love Trey to death, but man, there's nothing. There's no roller coaster like riding the roller coaster of Trey Scott being in your group text during a Texas game. Like it goes from it. It's like the the emotions that dude goes through. Like it's it's awesome, man. I wish I could. I wish I could just like live blog some of the text Trey sends us. Like I, <laughs> there was a game. I want to say it was. Uh, it was during Sark's first year. Maybe it was the Oklahoma game, but I got a text from Trey at some point that year during a game, during that losing streak, that he was like, you need to get your defensive coordinator hot board ready. PK's not cutting it. I'm like, dude, we're not even a full year into this thing. <laughs> like, let's not. Let's just tap the brakes a little bit. But I'll, I love Trey, man. I love Trey. But I, I, I got to imagine that was an experience watching that Sugar Bowl 
with him the other night. Um, yeah, so just to give everybody an idea of what we're talking about with the LSU staff, Jordan, you remember, you know what position Matt House coached was the linebackers? Um, I assume so. I really don't. Okay. Know. Uh, Robert Steeples coached corners. Kerry Cooks coached safeties. Those guys are both out. Jimmy Lindsay's the defensive line coach. He's out as well. So, yeah, complete house cleaning by Brian Kelly. You know what's interesting, man, and I, I know <laughs> when we talk about uh, – I saw Ricardo's point, and Jordan, you just mentioned it about Jim Har- uh, Brian Kelly and the up at Michigan. It's funny, man. Chip has talked about it, and uh, we talked about it when we were down in New Orleans, like – and it's weird now that they're playing the championship game because you started hearing buzz, man. If Harbaugh goes to the NFL, Kalen DeBoer might be Michigan's number one target. Well, if that is the case, this is about to be one hell of a job interview. Man, Kalen, I don't give a shit, dude. If I'm Michigan, I'm not even calling Brian Kelly. It's just, no, man. hey, Mr. DeBoer, give me a number. Just give me a number. Dude, he is, <clears throat> I've said this before, man. His offense is at Indiana. When he was at IU, Tom Herman was looking for an offensive coordinator. I was like, that's the guy. I just didn't know that Fresno State was going to go ahead and offer him the head coaching job and he'd, he'd be a head coach. And that was a few years ago. And like, it's funny. That was what, four years ago, I was talking about Kalen DeBoer would be a great fit for to be the Texas offensive coordinator. Then four years later, he's got Washington in the, in the national championship game. Like, that's After not they beat Texas. Yeah, that's not Texas. Yeah, Texas with Tom Herman no longer the coach of Texas. Uh, yeah, it's it's so weird. I guess thinking it's just weird how like when you put stuff into perspective. Like five years ago, when Texas beat Georgia in that Sugar Bowl, like if you'd have told me, hey, not only is it going to work out, is it not going to work out for Tom Herman and he's going to be fired in a couple of years, but the guy that takes his job is a guy that technically right now isn't even in college football because Sark was still in the NFL at that point. Uh, and then it would be in the Steve Sarkeesian would be the guy leading Texas to the playoff. That would have made no sense. I would have asked what grade of sticky icky you're, you're enjoying that day. Cause that would have just made no sense. It would have been insane to think about, but here we are. And, it, and it's not, it's not a knock on, uh, on any other coach. It's just, man, you look at what DeBoer has done and how they built that Washington roster, Jordan. I remember when he took the job, like Jimmy Lake was Chris Peterson's handpicked guy to take over. And it's not like Chris Peterson left that program in shambles when he decided to step down. But dude, Jimmy Lake just like took a gas can and matches to that thing and did a really good job of trying to burn it down in a really short amount of time. And Kalen DeBoer comes in and rescues that thing. And, you know, one of the knocks I heard under Jimmy Lake was, man, Washington, they're just not good at recruiting. You know, they're recruiting and falling way off, not just in terms of the West Coast in general, but, man, the state of Washington, they had kind of fallen off. Well, the Boers kind of got the right mix, and I think Sark's got the right mix, too, of you've got to have the core of your team has to be built through the high school recruiting process, but those couple of pieces that you need to get you to a national championship those are the kinds of pieces that if you can find them in the portal and they're the right pieces you can contend you can get it turned around pretty quick and you look at the pieces they've had added michael Penix, chief among them um it's been the right combination and who's to, who's to say washington doesn't go to the big 10 and isn't a perennial like eight and four type team maybe they are maybe they're not but uh 
that's just it's just you know, I look at Kalen DeBoer, who I think is a hell of a coach, right guy, right place, right time for what he's done in Washington. Yeah. Yeah, no, it is the butterfly effect is always crazy looking back at these uh the coaching changes and the carousel and how it affects recruiting as well. Mm-hmm. Like feel very strongly if Terry Buster goes to LSU now, he's playing on offense. <laughs> you know, and yeah. it's like what the hell is McKinley thinking? You know what I mean? He yeah. just flipped like yeah. three days ago. Right. Like he had to have known. I like they had to have told him. They oh, yeah. had to have. I would think you so. can't not tell him. But it's like, man, Wait a minute. I'm, I'm are, you, are, are you suggesting are you suggesting that Brian Kelly Brian Kelly may have done something dishonest? That he Brian Kelly might not have been telling the truth. Allegedly, potentially, maybe on the periphery. Yeah. That wouldn't that wouldn't surprise me. But yeah, you don't make a decision like that. I mean, look, here's the deal with Dominic McKinley, man. And and you we talked about this. Dude, the the closer you get to, to Baton Rouge in New Orleans, if you're a high school prospect, unless you've covered a recruitment of one of those guys or you're from that area. And I, I just know it on the periphery. The in-state pressure those guys get to go to LSU, if you're a guy LSU wants, you can't imagine the level of pressure some of those guys are under when it gets down to nut-cutting time at the end of their recruitment. Like, it is yeah. – I've heard of stuff, Jordan, I'm not saying – look, I'm not saying this doesn't have – this is exclusive to LSU, but I've heard of stuff like, hey – you know, if you go to school X and not LSU, it might be kind of hard for your parents to find a job around here. You know, stuff stuff like that does happen. It's it, it, it's it's it, LA, the state of Louisiana is unique. It's so unique because there's no other Power Five school. It's not like Texas where you've got yeah. you know, two options. And well, the way it's always been described to me is it's. LSU and Arkansas by far the most in-state pressure just because they don't – like, even yeah. Georgia. Nobody mm-hmm. really gives a shit about Georgia Tech, but they're still there. <laughs> Florida, you have the three big ones plus UCF now who's in a Power 5 conference or Power 4 or whatever. Yeah. And then in Texas, you got A&M, California, you got all the other schools. I know you all know this, but, like, dude, and depending on what part of Texas, so – Yeah, depending on what part of Texas you're in, too, like Oklahoma might as well be considered an in-state exactly. territory. Yeah, and it is just so, so, so hard to pull kids from Arkansas or LSU that are or Louisiana that are prioritized by the main in-state school. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. Like, I would say who I think is probably third challenging is Mississippi because, like, you got to get – like, the Ole Miss and Mississippi State kid had to have really, like, either, one, not wanted the kid – or two, like maybe the kid did something on his visit there, something where they don't yeah. want a character. Like it, it has to be something like that, or else if they're a take, they're going to Mississippi State or Ole Miss. They yeah. just are. That, so. that's, that's a good. No, that's a good point because, and I, and I just do this. I, I I still do this sometimes. I'll just look at a kid's offer list. An offer list can tell you. It can it can tell. It doesn't tell you everything, but at times it can tell you a lot. All right, let's take a kid, if you're recruiting a kid, let's say you're recruiting a kid from the state of South Carolina, right? 
You're recruiting a kid from the state of South Carolina, but he doesn't have a South Carolina offer or a Clemson offer. My immediate response would be, all right, what's wrong? What's the red flag? Because if Texas is good enough to go in and offer a kid from the state of South Carolina and he ain't got a Clemson offer or a South Carolina offer, there something happened at some point. Or or, or you got extremely lucky because this kid just completely slipped through the cracks and and, and, they, and they missed him. But you yeah, can, or you could be offering too early. Oregon, Oregon with their offensive coordinator Will Stein, who actually coached me and my twin brother at the high school level, Lake Travis University. He, uh, him, and Oregon have really been trying to get into Texas. And they've been making a ton of early offers and beating Texas and A and M on a lot of guys. And a lot of it is like, okay, Stein, like I, I get what you're doing here, but this is how. Like, why are there, if I go to the Oregon 24-7 site, why are there going to be, like, 50, 20, 25 receivers long? You know, like, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. It's that type of recruiting. So, yeah. I feel like that's usually what it is whenever schools at least beat the in-state schools in Texas, like A&M mm-hmm. or Texas, is yeah. because either Texas or A&M doesn't like the player enough or, you know, it's they're just waiting because they don't think he's ready yet. And and for, those, for, for Texas and for Texas A&M, and look, I'm I'm sorry, Baylor fans, Tech fans, TCU fans. It's it's a different deal for Texas and Texas A&M. If those two, one of those two schools offers a kid in the state of Texas, you damn well better be offering that kid a committable offer. Because if you don't, like the endless amount of crap you're gonna get from donors in that area, people connected to the high school, the high school coach, the THSCA, like it it's it's not worth. <laughs> this is gonna. This might sound crass, but I don't care. It's just for lack of a better phrase. It's not worth the headache to miss like that. Like you better. That's that's why it's gonna take you know, Sark or now in in A and M's case, uh, Elko. It's gonna take them some time. Like if you're gonna offer an in-state kid, like you really got to sit down and evaluate. All right, we're ready. Like you talked about it. You and Mike both did uh, right before signing day. Xavier Filson is a perfect example. Like Texas was still evaluating him. They weren't a hundred percent sure they wanted to pull the trigger. And by the time they were ready, Oh, he's going to commit to Florida tomorrow. So, you know, it's thankfully they, you know, kind of stars aligned, everything worked out, but that's the kind of stuff Texas is going to run into because Jordan, you know, the politics, man, you can't, you can't offer an in-state kid and then suddenly decide, well, we changed our mind and pull that offer. It's, like I said, it's not worth the headache some of those guys are going to go through. Yeah, it's it's easier to do nowadays because of just how recruiting is, where kids are getting a lot more offers and they're getting a lot more offers a lot earlier than they used mm-hmm. to. Um, so Texas can get away with it, but, like, there are some schools in the state of Texas that you can't, you can't try that shit where, uh, you know, it's like the, oh, they have this kid we really want. Let's offer, like, three of his friends. Like, Ole Miss will, like... There are like 12 kids at DeSoto with Ole Miss offers. <laughs> as much as I love DeSoto, love Coach Sweeney, Coach Mathis, like if we're being realistic, maybe five or six of those guys are Ole Miss talent, and only yeah. five of those six guys would be able to commit to Ole Miss at any point. So it's like, why are we offering these other six kids if you're never going to take them? Yeah. In Texas, they I like that they don't do that. At least in state, they don't do that. Uh, so. Yeah, I want to. It's Fungo Master said this. Harold Perkins hit the portal now. I really doubt it. Um, keep, oh, you got me. 
I think I just buffered. Yeah, I'm good. Yo, yeah, you got me. Yeah, yeah. All right, you're. I'm I'm at a, a hotel in San Antonio, so I think it's me. No, it's me. It's me. I gotcha. Think it's, I think it's um, me. So, yeah. Okay, we're, we're you're unfrozen now. Okay. But Harold Perkins, um, he burned a lot of bridges with his high school, at least with A and M. So if he does enter the portal, I doubt it's I doubt it's to A and M. I know you're probably like there's a different staff. Mike Elko was a big part of recruiting Harold to A and M. So uh, but if he does, but, he's not going to A and M. But you talk about burning bridges. Um, I'm pretty sure there's going to be a couple people that would be responsible for taking care of some NIL bills that might not, that might have been, might have been on the other side of that bridge that was torched. I get, I get what you're saying, um, but. Like Denver Harris is taking a visit to A and M this weekend. As crazy as that, Are you serious. Sounds. I'm dead ass. As crazy as that sounds, Denver Harris didn't go and burn an AM hat on Instagram Live after <laughs> he committed to LSU after being committed to AM for however many months. He never did that. He just drove in a parking garage at like 50 miles per hour and is a psychopath. Mm-hmm. Harold Perkins, there's some there's a lot of other stuff with both those guys that's never been reported and will never see the light of day. No. Um, but no, I don't think Harold's leaving. I wouldn't expect that if he does. I Texas, like, okay. I just, I, I wouldn't see that happening. Um, now McKinley, he hasn't signed. He's going to sign next month in February. I believe the February signing day date is February 9th this year, the sixth, something like that. Um, but he is just committed, and he flipped from A and M to LSU a few days ago. It was, I kind of, it was weird. It was the middle yeah, of Feb, the Feb, Under Feb, Armour. February seventh. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It was the middle of the Under Armour All-American week, and, like, all these reporters are there, and he flipped at, like, 11.36 at night because mm-hmm. I, I saw it on Twitter, and I was just like, I would be so pissed if I was a reporter there. And I check in, like, hey, man, like, what's up with these other schools? or <laughs> You know, and it's not much, and, like, he flips at night. But. Yeah, I've been, I've, been so, uh, I've been so out of pocket, just, like, just so tunnel vision on – Sugar Bowl stuff and CFP stuff that I haven't paid. And plus, Texas, I mean, they're done with the portal for now. So I haven't really been paying attention to portal stuff. But, uh, yeah, I didn't know that about Denver Harris. I saw yesterday that I guess Tennessee was recruiting Evan Stewart, and now they're not. You you, you have yeah. anything on, like, where the hell is Evan Stewart going to end up? Uh, so information on him is, like, impossible to find. That's why it doesn't really get reported on. Um, yeah. But the, his camp, they're keeping everything tight. Um, going to a good program that's, you know, actually in a contending spot is important. Um, you know, NIL is obviously important. We all know that. Um, he has one year left. He's going to be a one-year rental. Um, you know, we support him in the portal. I had a guy who was consistently telling me Texas would feel good about their chances if he did enter the portal. And, you know, he entered and, I haven't heard from that guy since. So uh, that's kind of how the portal works with sources sometimes. Um, I don't think Texas is going to really make a push here or be a spot he could end up. On the same note, I know this is not great reporting. It's kind of like a politician, but I wouldn't be surprised either if, like, he was to post a Texas commitment graphic right now. That's kind of just how Evan Stewart's recruitments have gone. Um, Yeah. And that's even – People who have covered him to the the closest extent have told me that as well. Like, 
it's so frustrating because no matter what you do to do all these things, it's going to be like a, it's going to happen like that, you know? Yeah. So yeah, I think that's kind of how it is. I think um, wherever he goes, the board will probably beat the, the recruiting staff to posting his commitment story. Cause that's kind of just how it, how it is going to be. It seems to be with, with Evan. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, that the whole thing is just you, that 20, 2022 A&M recruiting class and the guys in that 2022 cycle, I'll throw, I'll throw Harold Perkins in there too. Um, that there, there, there's ended up being a lot of just wheels off, College careers, Jordan, just and and I don't anybody that had a pulse on that cycle. I don't know that that surprises anybody that some of those guys their careers have taken that roller coaster path that they've taken. Uh, but going back to Harold Perkins specifically, I, I don't I don't know what reason. Uh, look, unless unless Brian Kelly were to hire a defensive coordinator that Harold Perkins just thinks is absolute garbage. Harold Perkins didn't need to enter the portal, right? He had a he had a great freshman year. His sophomore yeah. year, he you can almost write it off and say, "All right, the the entire defense was garbage. It's one of the worst defenses LSU has had in my lifetime." You can just it write. is it, it is important though. They were playing him like there are like a thousand different ways you can play Harold Perkins, and like one wrong one, they were playing him the wrong one. Like yeah. the first few weeks of the season, yeah. So you can write you can write off what happened to him as a sophomore is like he was playing for an incompetent staff. If he goes out and just gets anywhere close to the form he showed as a freshman, he's going to be a first. He's going to, I don't know if he'll be a first round pick probably, but he'll be a top 50 pick. Yeah, for sure. And he's going to test like a freak too. Yeah. Like an absolute so, freak. And he has back, back to him playing running back in high school. A big part of our rankings or a big thing that factors into the rankings is talking to our scouting team is, you have two-way context and also multi-sport context. Harold Perkins literally played every position on the football field, and he also played basketball, track, did a lot of other stuff too. Like Scouts are going to fall in love with everything about him as a player. It's just making sure they can get everything out of him as a person. And then also, you know, he kind of returns back to like what Jeff was saying, what he was doing as a freshman and is more consistent in playing that way. Yeah, he's a uh... – Harold Harold Perkins to me is a is a souped up version of Caleb on Chase on. Yes, I feel like you can do a lot more with Harold though. Like I, I feel so it. much more comfortable putting Harold at Mike or whatever linebacker spot than Caleb on. That's, that's why I said he's a souped up version of, of Chase on. Like still a guy that yeah. you you want to have him on the edge, but you know you like I said you can situationally if you want to drop him or do whatever you can and it's not it's not a wasted down to to put him in coverage um i'll tell you this man speaking of linebacker let's take it back to texas i had a really good conversation with jeff choate during media day uh for the sugar bowl and man that's that's a guy that you know we talked about just the linebacker room and linebacker recruiting in general because i'll take a shot because i'm gonna say this again i say it all the time jordan i'm and i'm talking about taking a shot for everybody out there not you i know you got work today but regardless um <laughs> I'm fascinated by off-ball linebacker, man, just because the way we've seen that position change, the demands on that position, the body types you got to recruit. Uh, I was talking to Jeff Choate about it, and he said the challenge for for linebackers coaches right now is basically the guys that are playing off-ball linebacker and succeeding in college and high school, they're either edge guys 
or they're playing safety. They're big safeties that are going to have to spin down or edge guys that you're going to have to teach to drop. Uh, what he's excited about, what Jeff Choate's excited about, even though he won't get to see this linebacker room that he's put together, he won't get to see it through to the end, he thinks that they've got the potential to have one of, if not the best linebacker tandems in the country over the next couple of years with Leonga LaFowle and Anthony Hill. And he said they play they play perfectly off of each other because we've all seen what Anthony Hill brings to the table, right? Kind of that Harold Perkins-ish player, right? Dynamic rusher, but can play in the middle of the field. A guy that gets sideline to sideline like a mother, covers a lot of ground, insane athlete. And LaFowle, I mean, Jeff Choate said he's one of the best zone droppers he's ever recruited. Uh, just, a, just a really good fundamental player. He'll thump you. He can be the guy playing behind Anthony Hill that'll be able to clean stuff up. Like, that's why Anthony Hill will be able to take some more chances knowing, okay, Leon LaFowle is going to get to the ball. And if Anthony Hill's flying and misses a tackle, LaFowle is going to be right there to make it. Um, Jeff Cho is just really excited. He's really excited about what that linebacker room is going to be. And I, you know, he and I, Cho and I talked about Ty Anthony Smith too. Jordan, like, he's like, you look at him right now. I mean, he said Ty Anthony Smith was right at 200 pounds on his official visit. But he said, hey, you know, get that kid in the training table, you know, and get him developed in the weight room. He's as, as, as powerful of a striker as he is right now. Can you imagine when this dude is 230 pounds, still running the same, maximizing his athleticism, and he's got that striking ability? That's the kind of guys that the Ty, Ty Anthony Smith is almost the prototype you're looking at for an off-ball linebacker right now. And the good thing about the Texas linebacker room is they're not going to need Ty Anthony Smith to come in right away and play you know, high leverage snaps, they can develop him a little bit. Yeah. Um, and the, the thing I like about Ty Anthony, or a thing that I don't think a lot of people actually know is, dude, he was 220, 225, 230 in the spring. Um, he's lost a lot of weight, like a lot of weight. Um, I remember Mike and I, are, we had just got to Palestine, Texas, Texas. And uh, it was Connolly versus Jasper. And Home the, of Adrian Peterson. Yep, yep. And Jeff Wilson Jr., maybe. <laughs> um, former 49er. Former North Texas Mean Green as well. But uh, Ty Anthony walks out for warm-ups, and Mike and I look at each other like, Ty Anthony's four, right? And they're like, yeah, that's him. I'm telling like, look at the picture. Look at his arms and the pictures on his profile. Like, he's lost weight. It's noticeable. Yeah. And he took it off really quick and a lot of it was because they started putting him at quarterback and running him in practice more. And in the season, like man, Ty Anthony's from Jasper, Texas. That's a sticks. They don't know strength and conditioning, nutritional program, like stuff like that. Like him getting into a program, he really has a body that can put on and take off weight so quick. Like he's going to be able to contribute. I think earlier than people think when they just look at his ranking and see three star, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So yeah, you want to talk about 2025? We got uh, Ricardo V asking about it. Uh, real quick, though. Man, I see too many people talking about Gerald Texas in the chat. I don't know why y'all talking about that toilet bowl. Uh, Daniel's why, why are they a rival? Where are you from again? Where'd you go? I'm from, I'm from Florence. The, the, Gerald's, Gerald's bigger now. It's a different classification. But, um, yeah, they're our rivals. It's seven miles apart. So it's kind of like a, you know, a Duke, North Carolina thing. I was raised on the side of FM 487, 
Jordan, where we believe in things like, you know, indoor plumbing and, you know, marrying outside of your family and things of that nature. So, uh, just, just, just Damn. Um, that's something to Jeff. Huh? No, just, uh, you know, hey, when Gerald wins a football game, pray for pray for the sisters of Gerald that everything ends up okay. Uh, <laughs> for the postgame celebration. <laughs> Um, okay, okay. Daniel Zamora, wonder about a linebackers coach. Uh, Johnny Nansen's name came up pretty quick after Arizona's bowl game was over. I know that's a name that we've heard. Uh, I don't know. That would be a better question, honestly, for Chip coming up at uh, one o'clock. But that's a Johnny Nansen's a name that we've heard. But I don't, I haven't been told in the last few hours, Jordan, I don't know if you have either, that anything is imminent on. Sark hiring a, a linebackers coach right now, but that Jim, Johnny Nansen's a name to to know. Yeah, yeah, I think I think it could happen in the next few. Again, I don't have intel here. I report on recruiting, um, but I would expect it to happen sometime in the next few days. You know, Chode has been out the door for a minute now. He obviously coached still and did all that, but I just meant we've known he's been going to Nevada for a long time now, mm-hmm. um, and they've had weeks to prepare for the bowl game. They've had weeks to at least get you know a, a list going of guys they want to call. I assume they're going to have something in the next week. Um, during check-in for the, the All-American Bowl here in San Antonio, Hank South and I, we sat down and talked to Ty Anthony Smith for about 10, 15 minutes in, in an interview whenever he first arrived. And we asked him, you know, he's lied to us before. Like, he lied to us about not coming in for the OB. But we did ask him, you know, have they told you who the linebacker coach could be or, you know, said, like, these are two guys we're looking at, anything like that. Like, what have they told you? And he, he said that they told me to let me know whenever they haven't finalized. So that's what he said. At the same time, like, Texas in that situation, I don't know if Sark, right after he gets it finalized, is calling Ty Anthony, like, guess what, dude? You know what I mean? <laughs> right. There's going to be people that find out before Ty Anthony. And there's a very high chance I find out before Ty Anthony as well. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it. If you want to find out more about it, I guess just keep tuning into uh, Horns twenty four seven. You know, you know what's funny about that is, uh, so that would have been the twenty eleven All American Bowl. That was the one Steve Edmond, uh, Kendall Thompson. I think there was somebody else, another defensive signing that was in the game. Um, but that was when Will Muschamp had moved on, and Manny Diaz was the defensive coordinator, and. There was no way those guys would have found out because that news broke while practice, while All American Bowl practice was going on. So it's like, well, you gotta, you gotta ask these guys post practice what they think. And you, Jordan, you know, man, some kids just don't follow college football, right? Like they don't pay yeah. attention to the stuff like fans do. And uh, they were like, they were getting asked questions like Steve Edmund and Kendall Thompson. These guys are getting asked questions like, what do you think about Manny Diaz being the defensive coordinator? They're like, who? Right. The defense coordinator for Mississippi State. Oh, okay. Their, their, their defense was good this year. Yeah. Like they don't, they didn't know Manny Diaz, but they knew Mississippi State's defense was really good. So, yeah, I don't, you know, from a recruiting standpoint, like, and once a guy decides this is where he wants to be, like, it, you know, like I said, unless just you hire just a, basically it, for, for Tyant, this done to not work out for Ty Anthony Smith, Sark would have, Sark and PK would have to just bomb this hire, which based on Sark's track record, um, I don't see that happening right now, man. Sark has been that might be that might be Jordan Sark's biggest strength. And I, I don't say that like 
willy nilly, like as good of a play caller as he is, as good of a play designer as he is, like, dude, Sark's ability to hire coaches has been really freaking good. And and part of that is when he re- when he's realized he made a mistake, like he realized, yeah, Andre Coleman probably doesn't need to be our receivers coach. Move on from it. Cut bait. Hire a new guy. And I just, I don't know, man, considering like how we saw Mac Brown at the end and Charlie Strong and Tom Herman operate with, with coaching hires, dude, Sark has been um, just, he's been an A plus for me in that area in terms of the coaches he's hired. And you look at, you look too at the the GAs and the the analysts and the QC guys that they brought in, man, Jeff Choate's taking two of those guys with him and, and hiring them for staff positions at Nevada. Yeah. And uh, while we're on the topic of highlighting Sark's coaching hires, you want to say, I think he made a very big mistake with letting Andre Coleman come back. Yeah, but that's what I'm saying, like, of the two outside of that, damn near perfect. Yeah, dude. If you're if you're hitting ninety percent, <laughs> you hit pretty good. The one the one that concerns me though, I just despised Andre Coleman and all the things he did. So yeah, it's yeah. just, and I don't look, man. I'm just going off of third hand stuff, right? I didn't have a relationship with Andre Coleman, but based on the feedback I got, it always felt like it was someone else's fault that Texas yeah. didn't get fill in the blank receiver. You know what I mean? Um, Speaking of which, we see who the Aggies hired to coach their receivers. Holman Wiggins, man, that's, that's big. Not good news because Damian Craig, I'll tell you what, um, it's among, among receivers in the state of Texas that are getting recruited by schools like A&M. A lot of them have started to – kind of feel the same way about Damian Craig that I guess Texas fans comment or tweet about, or used to tweet about Damian Craig. Holman Wiggins can coach his ass off. I know he hasn't had anyone or any draft picks, whatever, since Devontae Smith or Henry Ruggs and all those guys. I don't care. Like, this is the best receiver coach A&M has had, like, probably in school history, and he hasn't coached a single game yet. Like, it's just they're not – there's there hasn't been a guy in College Station that can actually develop at a offensive position like this, and I don't know how long. I'm serious. I don't know how long yeah. it's been. I, I almost uh, said the whole team, but I'm like, they had Elijah Robinson. <laughs> Let's stick to offense. Um, but in recruiting, he's a great recruiter. Damian Craig was also a good recruiter. That's how he got Evan Stewart. To, <laughs> that's how he convinced Evan Stewart to play for him. Um, and Noah Thomas and all these other guys who are like, had great futures. Um, you know, Damian Craig got him to go to AM. Um, I think the reasons they might have been at AM might not have fallen directly on Damian Craig. You know, these kids don't go just to play for a singular position coach. There's obviously other things involved, but I mean, he was a primary for both of them. And with him gone, it's just, it's really, it's going to be interesting whenever the the full support staff and the full AM staff is finalized. Cause I can't wait to go through it and break it down. And you know, I just, I'm going to write a story like how this affects Texas and recruiting. Oh, yeah. Cause man, like I said, it's, it's, it's just that flipping that mindset back to, you know, this, this Texas, Texas AM Cold War, as my man Rod Babers has called it, where, you know, they haven't been playing on the field, but, man, the, the, the battle is still real in recruiting. N- now it damn sure affects what happens on the field uh, because now you're, you're playing A&M again, and hopefully 
you're playing that thing on an annual basis. I was trying to find who was A&M's wide receivers coach. And of course it's hard to find stuff from 2002. Uh, but back when like Robert Ferguson and Chris Cole, Chris Taylor, uh, those guys were coming through. Jamar Taylor, Terrence Thomas, Terrence Murphy, you know, that uh, Bethel Johnson. That was back when that was probably, man, that might be the last time other than, you know, Mike Evans and, and well, you had Mike, that, that group of Mike, like Mike Evans, Ryan Swope, uh, kind of that group. But okay. uh, with the late How long ago? Kevin that was, was a decade yeah, ago. That was, yeah, it was a decade ago. Yeah. yeah, I was in elementary school. Yeah, <laughs> the last time there was a coach this good at actually coaching and not just saying he's good at coaching was when I was in elementary school. Twenty-one uh, now. Yeah, David Beatty was the receivers coach at A and M uh, for Mike Evans. Uh, you had Mike Evans. Uh, let's see. Trying to see who else was the receiver on that team. I guess Ryan Swope was already gone by 2013. Yeah, probably. Speedy Noel, cool. baby. Oh man, you know what? Uh, I there, there's. I don't know why, but there's sometimes when I bring up contacts, I don't know who I'm trying to get a hold of, but I'll my fat fingers will miss a a letter, and it'll bring up that I have a phone number for Speedy Noel still in my phone. Why I don't know, but. I do. So I may call it one day and see if it, if it works. I doubt it. But, um, man, I'm What's up, man? To... How you doing? You got <laughs> which were your favorites right now? Yeah. What up? Uh, yeah, David Beatty had uh, Easy Wachiku, um, Ryan Swope. Yeah, probably. So probably David Beatty. But yeah, David Beatty hadn't been in AM in a decade. So. Probably last time AM had a receivers coach that could develop wide receivers. Yep. Yeah. You. To, to JS, JSDTX's point, coaches really make a difference. You can find a nice guy or someone good in one area, but the whole package is hard to get. Um, yeah. It's, dude. And look, it, I really feel like Sark can learn from the CFP experience. And, you know, make himself a better coach. I, we'll get more into this. Jordan, I know you won't be with us tomorrow or Friday because you got All-American Bowl stuff to handle. But that's to me, is the next step for Sark is, man, what did you learn about yourself? What, and it's time to nitpick Sark because Steve Sarkeesian, as he stands right now, we've seen that he's good enough to get Texas to the CFP. All right. But every coach has had to do this, man. Every coach. What are the things you're going to change to now once you get back there? to be able to get over the hump and win it. And it's time to, it's time to nitpick Sark from that standpoint. So uh, I just like, I just like the fact that Texas has a coach now that you should firmly believe, okay, you're capable of being a national championship caliber program competing for a national championship and have a chance to win a national championship with this guy as your head coach. Like the fact that we can unequivocally definitively say that about Sark, after year three, I just, I don't know, Jordan. I just feel like there's a, there's a calming feeling. I feel, and that's not to get, that doesn't guarantee you anything. Texas might not get back there under Sark. I don't know. But the fact that he's proven capable of that, it beats the hell out of the alternative, which if we weren't saying what we're saying now about Sark, the alternative would be, oh man, 2024, it's a winner go home type year. I'm not saying that about a Texas head coach 
after year three, or in the case of Charlie Strong, firing a head coach after year three. So just a nice, it's a nice change of pace. It's a nice spot to be in. Um, yeah, I keep seeing, hearing people talk about Dwayne Aquina. I, I don't know if Coach Aquina at this point with his age, I don't know what he wants to do as far as football goes. So, I mean, I know it's fun to talk about him and, you know, guys that played for him have nothing but great things to say about him. I think any Texas fan who watched football during that era appreciates what Dwayne Aquina meant. But, man, I, Jordan, this is something to, to kind of chew on, man. Terry Joseph is the t- defensive pass game coordinator. I said this yesterday, man. Something, something's got to change there. I'm not saying you got to fire Terry Joseph, but Pete Kwiatkowski is a defensive front guy, just like he trusted Jimmy Lake to call coverages and game plan on the back end when he was at Washington. Terry Joseph doesn't have that defensive pass game coordinator title just to get him some extra money and to look better on a business card. Like he, he has a job. He has a function, a real important function, and. There were times this year where the front end and the back end of that defense just weren't tied together. And now with the guys you brought into that room over the last two recruiting cycles, Manny Muhammad, Xavier Filsamy, Kobe Black, I'll even throw Terrence Brooks back in there. You're way too talented to be, you're going to be way too talented in 2024 and 2025 to be as inconsistent as you were in 2023 in the secondary. Yeah. And one thing that is huge that I don't think, any Texas fans are realizing how big of a deal it is, is Joey Thomas going to Nevada is not good for Texas. Y'all are probably like, who the hell is Joey Thomas? He was, uh, he's been Terry Joseph's like assistant the last two years. Um, and his official title was like cornerbacks analyst or defensive backs analyst, something like that. But a lot of people, um, a lot of recruits, a lot of players, um, or high school players, and even just whenever you're in practice and during the media availabilities, um, at least when, when I was there in the fall, and then talking to different sources about the program, dude, Joey Thomas did a lot with the cornerbacks. A lot. Like, in my opinion, he deserves – almost as much as of credit for the improvement of the secondary as Terry Joseph and Gideon does. That's how important he was. Um, and he worked with the corners more than the safeties. So it, it worries me a lot. It really does. I can't lie. Like they're, they're going to need to figure out, I don't know what a flashy cornerback analyst hire looks like. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but they're, they're going to need to figure out a way to replace Joey Thomas in in what is leaving with him leaving to Nevada. Um, because again, he was just so monumental to, to the course. Yeah. Michael Huff works with the program as a whole. Um, and he's kind of all over the place. He also, you know, mostly DBs, but Joey Thomas is a corners coach. And in fact, there's a recruit in this past cycle who told me if the roles are reversed and Joey Thomas was the corners coach and Terry Joseph was the analyst. He would be going to Texas Um, because he liked Joey Thomas that much and wasn't comfortable with playing for Terry Joseph. uh, Somebody asked about Dwayne Aquino, what he's doing. He was an analyst at Arizona on Jed Fish's staff this last season. So yeah, that's, that's one of those deals, man. I I, I praise Sark for hiring coaches, Um, but the Terry Joseph thing that's kind of the, I feel like Texas, 
as much as as much as there can be a shutdown corner in today's game, Jordan, which it's tougher now than ever to be a shutdown corner. Uh, and I use that term very, very loosely. I feel like you're an elite corner, like a first round corner and a a first, second round type edge guy away from winning a national championship. Like I don't worry about quarterback recruiting receiver. I don't worry about offensive recruiting under Sark. And I don't worry about them recruiting on the offensive line. Um, other positions they've been really good at. But that to me, that was the difference between Texas and Washington the other night. I mean, yeah, Penix and Ewers, yeah, the, that battle was slanted towards Washington. We knew that going in. But Washington had one elite corner that Texas didn't have, and Jabbar Muhammad, who makes it, makes it a lot easier to scheme up coverages when you've got a guy that can just lock up on somebody's number one. And they had an elite All-American edge rusher with Braylon Trice, who made a really big impact on that game. And it's kind of the, the two elements of the Texas defense – that they were missing as we bring in Trey and BK. There's BK. BK screen was black, and now he's uh, he's there in living color. Uh, am I right about that, guys? Like the the further removed we get from. By the way, Jordan, if you got to go, man, you can go ahead and and find out. I know you got. Uh, no, they they got a break from twelve. To okay. 10, so. Okay. Cool. I just want to get Trey and BK's take on this. I I feel like the Texas defense. You're on the right track. You're just maybe want an elite corner and probably an elite edge guy. Away, and I say elite edge guy because that guy's going to command double teams. He can open up so many different things for everybody else on the defensive line. I really feel like you're those two pieces away from getting over the top and winning a national championship. Yes, I did too. Can you guys hear me? Okay, yeah. I'm getting a low Wi-Fi signal on my screen here, so it's a little it's a little fuzzy, but I can hear you loud and clear. Okay, nobody needs to see me, so that's a good right. thing. Cool. Um, you're right. No, I agree 100%. And look, Texas is doing a good job of bringing in players at those positions because they realized that that was something that plagued them this year. But, yeah, I mean, Texas couldn't get enough pressure from its edge rushers, and obviously the Texas secondary couldn't hold its own in coverage for all four quarters on Monday night. So, yeah, you feel like if uh, – Maybe Texas had Washington's edges and Washington's corners, then the Longhorns win that football game. But unfortunately, not the case. Yeah. Now I'm disappointed that Anthony Hill didn't get more run as a pass rusher earlier in the game. They were they were playing him a lot at traditional linebacker, which I know has been his role in the second half of the season. But you need to understand what you're up against there and that getting pressure on Penix was paramount. And that didn't necessarily guarantee anything because his pocket presence is so ridiculous. Yeah. I think – Bukowski, as great as he's been, I don't think he had a very good game a couple of nights ago. No, I think I think he and Sark both. That was probably a, in terms of the plan. Let's call it C plus. Yeah. Okay. We also this. I I know we all know this, but we we really needed. They could have done a better job, yes, but so much of it I felt like was just panics playing out of his fucking mind and throwing yeah. throws that like he probably could throw again if he tried. Well, actually, I don't know because he kept doing it the next snap. Um, he was just, dude, I have that by far the best quarterback performance this year at the college level, not even close, not even close. And you add in all the, well, how important this game was too. And it's, it's just not close. So numbers bear out that he's been an accurate passer all over the field all season long. And that really goes back to Indiana also. He wasn't as polished obviously at Indiana, but he is a really good throw of the football to the degree, Jordan, that I watched a couple of times in the stands on Monday night where he was clearly throwing the ball away and it 
could have been considered a grounding, but he threw it so close to the sideline that the refs are like, eh, that's borderline. So we'll go ahead and give him that one. Yeah. That's how yeah. on top of shit he was on Monday night. It was mind blowing to watch a performance like that at the quarterback position. Yeah. It was it was a hybrid of two of the better quarterbacks I've seen in person. I'm just talking about Michael Penix for this one game. His accuracy with the deep ball is something I haven't seen in person since Robert Griffin. Like when Robert Griffin was dealing in that Baylor offense and they would throw those 40, 50 yard bombs down the field, you're almost shocked when they didn't complete them. Like that's how it felt the other night. And dude, the way he was just dealing snap to snap, like Jordan said, of, and I've, dude, I've seen a lot of great quarterbacks since I've been on this beat. Mariota, Goff, Patrick Mahomes, Mayfield, Kyler, go down the list. The only other guy I've seen deal the way that Michael Penix was dealing the other night was Joe Burrow. Mm. Just it's surgical. It's, I mean, it's almost like no matter what you do, no matter what front blitz coverage, whatever you do, he's going to find a way to get his. Yeah. The box. You know, it's coming and you still can't stop it. Yep. And the box score says he has nine incompletions. I I don't think that's right. It feels like he had one or two the entire (laughs) game. Like, I, I don't remember that dude missing on nine throws yeah. on Monday. It, it was about as perfect of a performance as you could get. And Jordan, like you said, with everything that was on the line, I mean, playing uh, for a, a spot in the national championship game, basically on the road. I know it was a neutral site game, but there was, what, you know, 25 yeah. to 30% Washington fans there in a pretty hostile environment with everything that was on the line for him to play like that. That's uh, especially if Washington wins it all. But regardless, that's going to go down as, as one of the clutchest quarterback performances in college football history. Well, we'll get out of here on this, fellas. Uh, you know, expected news last night with Xavier Worthy's departure. Uh, good news this morning. With, uh, you know, we've confirmed our horns 24-7. Looks like Alfred Collins' expectation is that he's coming back. So a little bit of expected news on the Worthy front, but Hey, the Collins news, it's a hell of a hell of a way to start your offseason. January 3rd prediction on A.D. Mitchell. Gone. I have I have heard from I have heard through the grapevine that there is one, I'll say one AFC team that based on where they feel like they're going to pick in the draft, if they had to turn that card in right now, it would have A.D. Mitchell's name on it. Hmm. Mm. Mm. So yeah, I think I think AD Mitchell's going. January January third prediction on Jatavion Sanders. <sighs> you gonna put the proverbial gun to my head, BK? The metaphorical gun? No, it's a real gun. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know what? I think it's more likely that he comes back. That's just a gut feel for me. Wow. I'm talking to him at the Sugar Bowl because he was the one guy that said. A lot of it's going to depend on what happens in this game. I think if Texas, if Texas is in the national championship game and wins a national championship, he's gone. But I think the fact that they're that close, it's it's a tough call because I think he's a top fifty pick whether he comes out this year or next year. Um, does the allure of maybe being tight end one in the draft appeal to him that much? He's got it's more of a decision he's going to have to make than I thought. I just assumed he'd be gone. Does that AFC team that likes A.D. Mitchell rhyme with Kansas City Queefs? Oh, God. Uh, I didn't think we were going <laughs> to I think we we're going to have to. I didn't, I didn't have the word queef on my bingo card, Trey. So. Oh, you never know what to expect from Trey or this show. Uh, 
Y'all are the best. Great show, as always. And uh, look forward to tuning in tomorrow. Yep. See you guys.